Well, good morning. And it's been great to spend time worshipping together this morning. And now it's time for us to delve into God's word. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. So let's just uh, bow our heads for a moment and devote this time to being in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are a God who hears our worship, who hears our prayer and who hears every word that we utter to you. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're here with us this morning. And thank you that as we go into your word now, as, we, as we've, we've worshipped you, we've acknowledged you as our saviour God, as we now go into your word, the Bible, the book that you gave us to use as a way of connecting with you, so we will connect with you. We will come closer to you. We will, we will know that through your Holy Spirit, you are speaking to us in this book. So, Lord, bless us this morning. Be with us. Fill our our homes and our hearts with your Holy Spirit and help us to draw closer to you, to deepen our relationship and to develop our understanding of our God and Heavenly Father. Father, thank you for all the things you've done for us this past week, for all the things you will do for us in the week to come. And Father, we thank you that throughout this, this pandemic that we've been locked down to try and cope with over the past few months, you have been with us every step of the way. Lord, thank you that you are an unchanging God and that we are your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the past few weeks we've looked at a couple of passages which have taught us about the man Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at another passage that teaches us about Jesus. Not so much about Jesus as Son of God, but more about Jesus as man. More about the humanity of Jesus. We learn in this passage about Jesus's Um, family. We learn about Jesus's um, social background. We learn about how he was regarded by his peers. And we learn about the fact that he suffered in exactly the same ways that many of us suffer today. Jesus had to cope with mockery, with ridicule, and with people who simply didn't acknowledge the authority with which he spoke. So if you've got a Bible with you, or if you've got an app, then please turn to Mark chapter 6. And we're going to read the first six verses together. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honour. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now this story is, is one of those stories where we get a glimpse into the man Jesus. 
For a start, in this story, we see Jesus returning home, going back to Galilee, to the place that he grew up. Now, I don't know about you, but um, that can be difficult for some people. For some people, they grow up and have a, a really difficult childhood, a really difficult time of it. And they can't wait for the day to come when they can take an opportunity to get away, to travel, to go and find somewhere new to call home, to leave behind the, the mess and the unpleasantness and the bad memories that haunt them. For other people, going back to where you were brought up is a really happy place. For some people, it's, it's something that they look forward to. There's nostalgia. You remember how good childhood was. You remember how, how, what a great place it was. You felt safe. You felt secure. You knew the area. You knew the people. There were no nasty surprises around any corner. Well, we don't know how Jesus felt going back to his hometown. But what we do know is that he went back there and straight away... He faced opposition. Maybe they'd heard what had been going on. You see, up to this point, Jesus has already performed miracles. He's healed people. He's, he's, he's defied the social and religious conventions of the day. Jesus had already stuck his neck out. He'd taken risks. He'd been talked about and crowds of people had come to listen to him teaching. But when he goes back to his hometown, we suddenly realise that actually that reputation wasn't built up until he started his ministry. No one recognised any wisdom about him up until he began to teach. Now what that means is for the first 27, 28 years of his life, he was someone who just blended in with the crowd. He was nothing special. People knew who he was, but they just knew him as the local carpenter, the local handyman. So here he turns up in his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. So he takes his his 12 disciples with him, takes them back. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm taking a group of friends back to where I grew up, I tell them, I say, hey, we're going to go back. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to to showing you the the house where I grew up and the fields where I used to play and the trees I used to climb, as you know. I'd look forward to taking them back there and showing them the village where I grew up. For some people, they would be very ashamed to take, take their friends back to where they grew up. Jesus goes back with his disciples and for him as you'd expect the highlight of the week is the sabbath day and on the sabbath he begins to teach in the synagogue now we don't know if jesus had ever taught in a synagogue before we know that from the sermon a couple of weeks ago the adolescent jesus in jerusalem had spent time in the temple courts asking questions of the 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 elders and the priests there and people have been amazed that a 12 year old boy could show such such depth and such wisdom in the questions that he asked. But we don't know if in his hometown he had ever spoken in a synagogue, in his synagogue before. Now, I remember the first time I preached. It was an Advent service. It was an evening service. And I didn't feel too nervous. I felt really excited. It was something that I'd had a nagging sensation that I needed to do. I really, at the time, I was very uncomfortable with the word. But looking back now, I recognised that there was, that was the, there was a calling to do that. 
And so I didn't feel nervous, but I was very aware that I was about to stand up in front of people who I liked and respected, people whose opinion of me I cared about. And I was going to preach. I was going to make myself very vulnerable. Potentially, I was going to drop an absolute clangor to show how moronic I can be. That feeling never entirely goes away. But the preach I remember most of all is the first time that my parents heard me preach. They probably don't remember it. But I'll tell you what, knowing that my family were watching me, knowing that they were going to be, um, they were going to be hearing what I said and they were going to be listening, knowing that they were going to be willing me to do well, there was a pressure there. Going back to your hometown to preach for the first time brings all sorts of different emotions and different pressures with it. Jesus stands up and begins to teach in the synagogue. And we're told that many who heard him were amazed. This might not surprise you. You could be forgiven for thinking, of course they were amazed. This is Jesus, the son of God. This was the, the, the God-given saviour to the world preaching in a synagogue. Of course, anything he says is going to be worth listening to. It's going to be pretty amazing. But the amazement described here is not a positive amazement. This is people gasping with incredulous thoughts as they see this, this nothing, this no one, this insignificant carpenter, this man of, of very little education, this man who hasn't um, ever shown any inkling before that he was, was going to stand out from the crowd. He suddenly has the audacity to stand up in his synagogue and start teaching. What right has he got? They asked, where did this man get these things? Where did he, who's told him to say this? He can't have thought of this of himself. He hasn't, he hasn't suddenly come up with this. Who's told him to say this? Where's he got all this from? What's this wisdom that he's been given? He even does miracles. Can you believe it? <laughs> Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the builder? Isn't this the handyman or the caretaker? Isn't this that guy who just came and did jobs for us that we couldn't be bothered to do ourselves? Yeah, that's him. Isn't this Mary's son? Let's just pause for a minute there. You see, the word, the English word that the, has been translated in our Bibles today is carpenter. Jesus, the carpenter, and we often talk about he followed in the footsteps of his, his earthly father figure, Joseph. Clearly, Jesus had been working as a, as a carpenter, but actually the, the Greek word used here is more like a handyman. It's not craftsman, it's more general dog's body, handyman, someone who would turn his hand to any sort of job. Useful guy to know, but probably not someone that you're going to invite round to dinner if you want to impress the neighbours. And so this is actually quite a derogatory term. And I say that because, I don't know about you, I am useless at any practical tasks. If someone says to me, can you build a basic, um, I don't know, a, a, 
a wooden picture frame or something. I wouldn't have a clue. If someone says, can you, can you make a dovetail joint? I, I don't know what that is. I haven't got a clue. I'm absolutely hopeless. And because of that, I am in awe of people who can simply take a few lumps of wood and make something and make it well, and make it properly, and make it so it looks nice, and it's strong, and it's going to do the job it was intended to do. If someone says, this guy's a carpenter, I immediately have respect for them, because I know that they make a living doing something that I could never even begin to dream about making a living from. They are a skilled person. The word that's used to describe Jesus in this passage doesn't carry that respect. This is not a kind word. This is a derogatory statement. Isn't he the, the mere carpenter? Isn't he the mere handyman? The insults go on. They say, isn't this Mary's son? Now we might read that and gloss over it and think, well yeah, we know he's Mary's son. We, we read that in, in, in the Gospels. But actually, in Jewish culture, a son was identified by his father. Every Christmas, we read the account of Mary having the visitation from the angel, being told that she's going to be, become with child through the Holy Spirit. We read about Joseph also having a visitation from an angel, telling him the same thing, and how Mary and Joseph... Once they'd settled their differences, they agreed they were going to stick together. Joseph was going to honour her and, and marry her eventually. And they, they, they knew that this child was the son of God. For the rest of the year, we don't really talk about that. That's something that we put away with the Christmas decorations. But that wasn't something that was put away with the Christmas decorations for Jesus. There would have been rumours of slander. There would have been, there would have been all these rumours about... Jesus's parentage. There would have been the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know that handyman, the guy, the guy fixing my guttering at the moment. That's the one who, um, his mum, his mum got pregnant before she married his dad, and um, his dad knew nothing about it. And apparently, it was an angel. <laughs> yeah, that's that's him. They would have been sniggering behind his back. He would have been a bit of a joke. And Jesus would have grown up with that. He would have grown up knowing that his, his mother's reputation was constantly being questioned, that the circumstances around his birth, his, his parentage, were being laughed about behind his back. And so when they say, isn't this Mary's son? What they're saying in effect is, we don't know who his father is. We then learn in this passage about Jesus' siblings. We learn he's got brothers, James, who we know about, who later on writes a book of the Bible, who later on became a very senior figure in the church. Joseph, Judas, Simon. Jesus had three other brothers that we know very little about. Aren't his sisters here with us? Jesus had sisters. You see, we learn in this passage that Jesus actually was the oldest child of quite a large family. The people in Jesus' hometown took offence at his teaching. His whole family was sitting there listening to him teaching in the synagogue and Jesus was hearing these comments from the other people in the town. 
mocking him, questioning him, insulting him. It's a difficult thing to stand up and talk about your faith, whether you're preaching in a pulpit or whether you're at your desk at work or whether you're at a coffee morning or whether you're talking to your neighbour where you're cutting the grass. Talking about faith is a very, very personal thing. And as soon as we start talking about it, that something which is intensely personal becomes very public. Once you've, once you've started talking about your faith, you can't then take it back. And so we leave ourselves open to mockery, to insult, to being ridiculed. Jesus knows that. Jesus experienced that. In this passage, we see Jesus going through exactly the same sort of challenges and traumas that we go through today. In fact, Jesus said to them, the hardest thing to do is talk about your faith to the people closest to you. He says, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honour. A prophet without honour. You see, when we start a new job or when we meet a new friend, if, if from the words go they know that we have a faith, they know that we, we go to church, then actually it's a lot easier for us. That is who we are to them. They're not surprised when we talk about our faith, when we talk about church. When I, when I was working up in the city, I, the first couple of jobs I went to, um, the, the first job I started out, I wasn't a Christian. I sort of came to faith while I was there and I didn't tell anyone because I was very conscious that this had big implications for me. It was going to change the way that I, that I lived my life and I wasn't ready for the questions, for the mockery, for the, um, the reminders of, of the person that I used to be rather than the person that I wanted to be now. When I started my second job, from the word go, I told people I was a Christian. And because of that, they just accepted it. They knew it. You see, it's really hard to tell people, I've changed. The old me's gone. The new me is, is starting. That's a really hard thing to do. But we can take solace and take comfort from the fact that Jesus found it just as difficult. And in fact, Jesus doesn't stand up and change their minds. He doesn't stand up and convert them. He doesn't... He doesn't finish this story doesn't finish with them walking away saying do you know what we were wrong he's not he's not just a handyman he's amazing no it finishes with them being offended with all the scoffers and the mockers and the slanderers being offended that Jesus had the audacity to teach what he was teaching with such wisdom you see he wasn't teaching about prophets that had that had come and gone. He wasn't teaching about um, the scriptures and, and foretelling what will come. Instead, he was teaching about the here and now. He would have been imploring them to read the scriptures and to recognise what was going on around them right now, pointing to his healings, to his miracles, pointing to, to the, the, the prophecies that have been made about his birth. He would have been identifying himself, just beginning to try and embed in their minds the facts that he was the promised Christ. And they were offended because this was coming from the mouth of a mere carpenter. We're told an astonishing statement at the end of this story. He could not do any miracles there except 
lay hands on a few people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So actually, the key point about this passage, the key thing that we should take away, it's not what we learn about the humanity of Jesus. It's what we learn about the mechanics of faith, the mechanics of how reliant the kingdom of God is upon us to put God first, to show faith. Jesus couldn't perform miracles. Now, we don't like saying that. We don't like saying Jesus could not because that's putting limitations on God. But actually, it's not putting limitations on God. It's showing how much, how faithful God is to us. God has given us such an important role. And sometimes we can, we can miss that. We can underestimate the importance of, of, that God places on you and I, on us in this world today, and Christians across the world. We are absolutely key to God's plan. We're not simply a mere onlooker. We're not just part of the audience watching as God gets on with it all. God has, has given us a task. And that task... That task is to put him first in all that we do. That task is to stand up and be proud of our faith. You see, the lack of faith in this place, it caused, it caused people to be offended by Jesus. But more than that, the lack of faith meant that Jesus didn't have the ability to perform miracles. Now, Jesus clearly had his own supernatural abilities He was a son of God. He went round, he laid hands on a few people and healed them. Mark drops that in as if it's just a throwaway comment. But let's not let's not um, let's not think for one minute that without us, Jesus is powerless. That is not what is being said here. Jesus could still go and lay hands on people and heal them. But when we come together as a body of believers, when we gather, whether it's in a church building, whether it's in a park, whether it's in someone's garden, whether it's over Zoom, whatever it is, when we come together and we all put our faith first and we pray and we call on God, that is when we see the supernatural power of God at its strongest. That is when we see the Holy Spirit working through us and the power being multiplied and multiplied. It is so important for us to stay united as a church, as a body of believers. It is so important when we have, when we have pastoral concerns that we come together, that we pray together, that we, we work together. That our faith, the power of our faith is harnessed in a supernatural way that we cannot quite grasp by God to make things happen. You see, there are two moments in this passage when the word amazed is used. At first, the people were amazed when they heard this mere carpenter standing up and speaking in the synagogue. But at the end of the passage, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was quite a harsh teacher when it came to faith. He was quite clear that that he expects absolute faith from us. He expects us to be absolutely faithful. Indeed, we see it in in Matthew 14. We're told how the disciples were in a boat one night and it was it was getting a bit choppy, but they look out during the fourth watch of the night. 
the boat's being buffeted by, by waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples see him, they're absolutely terrified. They think, it's a ghost. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. They see Jesus walking on the water. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about Lazarus and I spoke about the significance of climbing a tree to change perspective. And I climbed a tree. Just because I'm talking about Jesus walking on water, don't think for one minute I'm going to take, I'm going to try and walk across the reservoir because... I cannot do that. You cannot do that. Nobody can do that. Only Jesus can do that. But Peter has such faith that when he sees Jesus walking on water, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. In other words, I believe you've got the power to make me able to walk on water. Now, I'd love to have the faith strong enough to say, watch this and go and take a stroll across the reservoir, but I'd fall in. Maybe I haven't got the faith that Jesus can keep me up. Jesus says, come. So Peter gets down out of the boat. Peter keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he walks across the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking crying out, Lord, save me. You see, the second that that fear overtakes faith, Peter begins to sink. The second that we allow our fear prevent us from having a conversation with someone or or dropping dropping the name of Jesus into a conversation or church or inviting someone to an event or or simply just, just doing a good deed. And when we're asked, what was your motivation? Saying, I'm a Christian. The second that fear stops us being proud of our relationship with God, that's when we deny an opportunity for God to work in someone's life. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to talk about our faith with those who are closest to us because we're scared that we will have the same response, the mockery, the, 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 the offence that Jesus caused when he spoke in his hometown. But actually, that didn't stop Jesus from doing it. He got on and did it anyway, because he wanted them to hear the message regardless of what their response would be. Well, maybe we need to have the same faith. Faith that says, I might upset someone. I might might be mocked. I might be ridiculed. I might be considered weak and pathetic. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that I give God the opportunity I open up the channel for him to put the Holy Spirit into this situation so it can flow into the life of this person. We never know what God's going to do. We never know what God's timing is. Sometimes it might take 20 years from the first conversation. We might have 20 years of suffering and hardship and and 20 years where someone won't speak to us or, or they might never speak to us again. But it's not about us. It's about giving God the opportunity. If we don't open the doors that he puts in front of us, then then he can't go through them as effectively. He cannot work as effectively without us. Our faith is so important to the building of the kingdom of God here on earth. Peter, when he begins to, to sink, Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls him up and then says, you of little faith, why did you doubt that's a harsh lesson. Peter's just shown so much faith in getting out of the boat, in walking. Peter actually walked on water. That's incredible. But how did he do that? 
because of the strength of his faith. That's how Peter walked on water. And as soon as that faith began to drop, as soon as the fear crept in, so he began to sink and Jesus had to reach out and rescue him and say, where's your faith? Come on, where's your faith? There's another example as well of of faith working in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 18, we we read the story of the blind beggar receiving his sight. We're told as Jesus was approaching Jericho, there's a a man sitting by the side of the road and he's he's blind. He's begging. He's just calling out every time he hears a footstep on the road in the hope that someone will will put some, some pennies on the mat in front of him so that he can buy food. Jesus stops, asks asks for the man to be brought to him and then says, what do you want me to do for you? The man doesn't say, I could really do with a tenner. I haven't haven't eaten yet today or I'm a bit chilly. Can I have your cloak? He doesn't ask for material goods. Instead, he says to Jesus, I want to see. Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Notice what's said there. Your faith has healed you. It's not Jesus performing a miracle for no reason. Jesus performs a a healing miracle in this instance because of the man's faith, the power of his faith. Just like it was Peter's, the power of Peter's faith that enabled him to walk on water. So here it's the power of the blind beggar's faith that enables Jesus to heal him. Our faith has so much power power in it so much can be done if we are truthfully totally wholeheartedly faithful to God but of course that's a big if things don't change do they in John's gospel in chapter 12 we see Jesus teaching and speaking to people as he goes around and we're told at the same time many even among the leaders believed in him but because of the Pharisees they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved praise from men more than praise from God and that's the key lesson in all these teachings about faith in all these examples of, of Jesus, when he, when he performs miracles, when he turns to us and says, where's your faith? So often we get in the trap that the leaders themselves got into. We look at figures in authority in the world around us. We look at role models. We look at people who, who the world say are, are worth listening to. And so often... So often, speaking about our faith is not a fashionable thing to do. It's not a popular thing to do. Because we might not be scared of Pharisees these days. But sometimes we can love the praise from men more than the praise from God. That was the barrier that stood in those days. That was the barrier that prevented many people from turning to Jesus. That would have been the barrier that that denied Jesus the opportunity to perform other miracles, other healings, other wondrous acts. 
when Jesus fed the 5,000, there were 5,000 people that had come to listen to him. 5,000 men, it was probably more like 15,000 when you add in women and children as well, maybe even more. There was a massive crowd of people who had put faith in Jesus to the point that they followed him out into the wilderness to listen to him. So when the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is performed, Jesus uses the, the, the strength of faith of those people to perform that miracle. Just like the individual, individual's faith is, is harnessed when Peter steps out onto the water. Just like today, you and I can make a difference in the world around us. We can enable miracles to be performed. It's no coincidence that when we started gathering together online and praying and praying and praying in large numbers, we've seen someone healed who was, who was on the brink of death. We've seen them brought back. Because when we come together and pray, when we come together and our faith is encouraged and endured and lifted and, and, and nurtured, that power is tapped into. What more could we do? As a church, we're, we're very good at coming together when there's a pastoral need and praying and praying and praying. And time and time again throughout the years, long before I was part of the church, I've heard stories of, of how that, that, has, that has seen wondrous things happening as a result of corporate prayer. But maybe we need to think bigger than that. Maybe we need to, to, to continue to pray pastorally. That's absolutely paramount to our, to our importance as a church. That is vital that we keep doing that. But, but what if we begin to pray into, into our spiritual life more with, with the same fervour, the same energy, the same faith? What if we begin asking for prophetic words, prophetic visions? What if we begin trying to really discern what God wants us to be doing with such faith, the same desperate faith that we have when we're calling on him to bring someone back from the brink of death. You see, we've seen God do that recently. and We've seen him do it many times in the past and we will see him do it again in the future. But we could achieve so much more. We could achieve so much more. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 17, we get, we get a sight of how Jesus wants us to understand faith. There's a man whose son is possessed by a demon and the man has taken his son and put him before the disciples, but the disciples couldn't heal him. And so the man brings him to Jesus and Jesus does the job. Jesus banishes this demon and heals the boy. The disciples come to Jesus in private and say, why couldn't we drive him out? And Jesus doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. It's just, yeah, just luck. It's just experience. You get better the more practice you have. Jesus actually is quite blunt with them. He says, because you've got so little faith. I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, Jesus understood the, the, the mechanics of faith far, far better than we ever will. But when we read those pages, we suddenly understand if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing is impossible for us. Now, I know there's been many sermons taught on, on the significance of the mustard seed, and we're not going to go into that now. But, but what Jesus is saying, if you even have a grain of absolute, pure, total faith, then nothing is impossible. Nothing at all. And that's why, 
When we go back to the passage that we started with this morning in Mark chapter 6, that's why Jesus, in verse 6, was amazed at their lack of faith. Of course he would be. He knows that with just a tiny bit of faith, we can walk on water. With just a tiny bit of faith, we can, we can see miraculous healings. We can see provision. With just a tiny bit of faith, we can call on God to, to feed the world, to heal the sick, to end in pover- uh, poverty, to, to, to bring justice and healing. With just a little bit of faith. And so Jesus, when he sees a lack of faith in the world, he's amazed. Because he thinks, why wouldn't you? If we can develop an attitude of being amazed when we look around us and see people that don't yet know Jesus, amazed at their lack of faith, rather than being fearful of sharing our faith, rather than feeling a little bit silly for believing in something that the rest of the world casts off as as being irrelevant fairy tales, if we actually believe, if we actually have faith, then we will suddenly come to see things very differently. Because we'll realise the importance of sharing our faith, the importance of giving God the opportunity to harness our faith, to use the power of faith to perform these miracles, to change lives, to bring more and more people to him. And ultimately, that's what we're here for. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus sent his disciples out in the world to make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the job that was passed on to you and me. That's the job that we need to be doing. So let's think about our faith this week. Let's think about the opportunities that, that might be around us that we're too scared to look for. The conversations where we're too afraid or too ashamed to mention God the people who we really care about and we, we don't want them to think less of us because they know we're a Christian, so we'll just keep that bit quiet. Well, actually, let's see them if we really care about them as our number one priority to share our faith with. Let's get, give God the opportunity to work through the power of our faith in the lives of those around us because he can and he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, for sending your son into the world, not to live as a privileged king, unaffected by life, but instead to to live the life that so many of us can identify with. A life of work, a life of of insult, of mockery, a life that that sometimes caused offence and upset. And Father, when we look around and in our own, in our own villages, in our own neighbourhoods, maybe even in our own families or friendship groups, when we are mocked, when we are ridiculed, Father, give us strength, give us courage, give us that reminder that Jesus experienced exactly the same thing. And Lord, help us not to be disheartened, but help us instead to grow in our faith to become stronger in our understanding and our relationship with you. Father, give us the encouragement through your Holy Spirit to continue to meet together, whether it's in our gardens, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in parks or whether it is eventually back in our church building. Father, give us encouragement to continue meeting together, encouraging one another, lifting one another and 
as we do that, Lord, we pray that our faith will rise and will grow and that the power that you can harness will be greater and greater so that you can work greater and greater miracles and supernatural works through us. Lord, use us, we pray, because we are your people and you are our God. So be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.